welcome to From the Rookery End. This is David Cameron Walker standing in for John today. He was injured in the warm-up. And uh, I'm with Mike. Hello. And Jace. Hello. Well then, lads. I mean, <laughs> forgive me for the cliche, but that was the archetypal game of two halves, wasn't it? It was, luckily. Luckily for us, because uh, uh, during the first half, I was sort of composing myself for... Uh, trying to work out what life's going to be in the championship is it still going to be much fun here with crowds of 14,000 instead of instead of 20,000 it was a game of two halves I think we just about could argue that we deserved a, a point in, on, a, on the balance of play um, but our first half performance was up there with the most abject I've seen all season awful 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 just not cohesive again as a team all at sea defensively all this against a team completely shorn of confidence themselves so yeah all right we came, we came back and got a point from it but that was deeply disturbing Jace do you think Silver got the, the selection wrong the tactics wrong first half yeah I think so and I, at the risk of repeating myself it's the it's the same old perhaps we need Deeney up front when you cut the big lumps at the back who are going to sit back a bit and, and the fact that we just there's just no tempo to our game. Well, certainly in that first half, we're just all too slow. So if there is going to be space behind the defence, we need to hit it quickly. And in fact, Southampton showed us how to do that, particularly that second goal, where they just sort of lumped it up to long down the wing. And other, other, he played really well that first half for them. And yeah, a couple of passes later and, and they've scored their second. And if you're going to play Gray up front on his own, then you need to move the ball quickly so you can make most of the, the space that's going to be behind him because they're just going to swallow it up otherwise. We obviously we ran into, into difficulty as well with uh, Cleverly having to go off early in the game, which almost... An injury, wasn't it, yeah, I think? It, 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 yeah, he I, think they had to, they had to, I think Watson was going to come yeah, off, wasn't he? And yeah. then they had to change it last, last minute. Yeah, because yeah, he's, gone, he's gone down the tunnel yeah. clutching the sort of back of his, his thigh sort of thing. So definitely an injury. But obviously we lose so much in midfield without, without Cleverly and Pereira coming on. You couldn't ask for a more sort of polar opposite in terms of the, the dynamic of the, the player coming on. So that left Decore with, with even more work to do. But I just think, you talk about tactics, you talk about shape, but I think unfortunately, I think we've just got and too many players aren't good enough. I think Ziegler has been exposed over the last uh, six weeks or so. Uh, the way, I was it, Wagge got left behind for... It, and, he, and it might as well have been any of us chasing back for that second goal. He was absolutely burned uh, in the rearview mirror. See you later. And it was just awful. The amount of time Southampton had to tee up both goals, really. But in particular, the, the second, which, as Jay said, didn't come from any sort of decisive interplay or anything anything spectacular lump up the field they, they found the space not the ball not to one player but then across again it was almost like a game of sensible soccer or something just knock it across the line until you get the angle to score and, and then it went all far too easy uh, far too um, reminiscent of, of recent weeks um, and, and not good enough I think we've got real issues with, with quality in that in the side but I just think that doesn't help and they're completely bereft of confidence they, they, they're a team that I thought they looked like go on, go on Jason desperate to get say, well no I was just saying talking of, of players lacking confidence I thought Yamat really struggled today and I thought he stood out even more so like a sore thumb some of his I don't know his passing was poor his tackling was poor he just and he just seemed to yeah just Again, sort of lacking confidence, but lacking the quality as well. Even, even in the 90th minute with Jan, yeah. he had the chance to get the ball forward. And he tried to beat his man on the on the halfway line, and he lost the ball. And yeah, okay, trying to. I've talked a lot in the last couple of weeks about how he transitioned so well at the start of the season from defence to attack, and I sort of quite admire the fact that he was trying to get a, a sensible footballing move. Well, not a sensible footballing move, a footballing move, an attacking move going. But it just wasn't the time to do it. All over the place, we're just looking. 
it's just so difficult for those guys at the moment, isn't it? And it's not like we're playing. And, uh, you can look at it two ways. We're not playing the best teams in the division. We're playing teams who are playing for their for their lives. But ultimately, they haven't got the quality either. They haven't got the confidence either. And and it was sort of like two tired cats pouring at each other for the first before before uh, Southampton scored. And then again, what was really worrying at two 0 down for two or three minutes. But up, leading up to the break, defensively, just completely went to pot. There was when, when we when we conceded that second goal. I, I was sitting in the, the lower Graham Taylor stand today, right on the halfway line, and you could look. You looked across the pitch, and they were all deathly silent. Their shoulders were shrugged. They looked completely shell shocked. And and that's what I want to go on to now. The second half performance was was like a completely different set of players. They went out, you know, they made some more changes. Deeney came on, and the the impact was was immediate. But you said that we've got problems with quality. But those players in the second half showed what they can do when when they have when they're on it. I don't know what Silver said, or maybe the booze affected them at half time, and Deeney might have had a word of them in, in the change room. Something happened, and they were like completely different side. Southampton didn't know what hit them. I wouldn't overplay it too much. I agree, they came out. Obviously, with a rocket, and Deeney had the impact that you'd hope Deeney would have in that situation. Two 0 down at home, coming on as a sub, and yeah, they, they definitely upped it. But I still wouldn't say they looked like a good team. They looked there was more impetus, there was more verve, there was more direction, there was more tempo. For me, it felt like they once they got the second, the, the first goal, that was the time that they had to go for it. Get Richarlison into the game, get start, get Carrillo into the game, who who I thought was pretty anonymous today, made some bad decisions for me. You've got to be happy that they did up it in the second half. I mean, there wasn't really anywhere to go but up from the, after the first half performance. It was that it was that poor, I think. Deeney made a big difference, definitely. Yeah, there were a couple of questions as, sort of from me still with that second half performance. as Exactly as Mike said, the, the fact that we got the goal and then we had a decent chance from a corner and then we just seemed to go flat again and the tempo seemed to drop again. And also, Gray's probably had his best sort of 20 minutes at home playing with Deeney there at the start of the second half. Looked really good. Got a goal. You think, great. Bit more confidence for him. And then sort of 10 minutes later or whatever, he's, he's, he's taken him off and, and bought a car run. And I sort of not sure why that was, but then thought, OK, perhaps it's because we've got players there now that can, can get balls into the box. We've got a couple of big players in there, but we didn't really seem to work it that way either. We're still trying to play around the box and looking for looking for holes in the back four rather than getting it wide and, and putting it in. So still a couple of questions there for me, but... Yeah, obviously the second half was much better than the first. A podcast made by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Well, something very special now. We're able to bring you a live episode of Michael Parkin's Son because Arlo is with us now. Yes, it gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson. Arlo, Arlo, how are you doing? Good. So it's finished here, Watford 2, Southampton 2. Firstly, who's your man of the match? I think it was Troy Dean because he kept doing really good headers. It's finished Watford 2, Southampton 2. How do you feel about it? Can you sum it up? I think it was a good match because Watford had a good comeback. And does it almost feel as good as a win? Mm-mm. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye-bye. talk about Gray then for a second, a subject we've returned to so so often this season. We saw in the first half he had a, a good chance but completely fluffed his lines, missed kick and then Southampton actually scored from that same passage of play a couple of minutes later. He got the goal, so fair play to him, but even then I thought he might have missed it, you know, he, he didn't look, he got good contact but he got the goal, so fair play to him. But I want to compare him to, to, to someone like Shane Long, who 
hasn't scored as many goals as Gray has this uh, this season. He hasn't scored many goals at all for the last few years. But he's the sort of player that does the same, should be doing the same sort of job. Gray should be doing that sort of job that Long is stretching defences and stuff. He didn't really do that. He's he's not that quick, really. I think he is quick. But again, so our play didn't suit him. I'm not saying that first half. We're just moving the ball around too slow. And and I guess as I as I keep on banging on about it, Gray's the man for the away games when we're when we're probably going to move the ball up to him quicker, we're going to find more space behind the defence. So we're looking at a Shane Long away performance today. And that's exactly the way I would want Andre to play away from home. But when he had Troy up there with him, I thought, as I, as I just said, I think that's his best sort of 20 minutes he's had at home. Again, after we'd got the goal, I think there was, there was a, a moment where he's got the ball down the left. Deeney's making the run into the box because we've got another striker on the pitch. And, and Gray's almost found him. It was just a good defensive block at the, at the near post that stopped the ball going through to Deeney and a tap in for an equaliser. I, I think Andre Gray in the first half as well, he, he betrayed his lack of confidence. He had that chance in the, it fell to him in the area and he sort of turned and tried to hit it. A, a striker on his game gets a, at least gets a, a shot off on target and he completely miskicked it. And I think that sums up where he's at at the moment doesn't it and you can you can argue all day long about the, the best way to, to get him into the game the, the way to, to use him um, most effectively but that in itself says he's not you, you could you could you could tailor a game particularly he, he could do the tactics I, I want you to play this way Watford do this for me and it's still not going to drop from him at the moment because that's where he's at in terms of his confidence and in terms of his uh, just where he's at as a player it's very difficult for him to get out of it I know he got his goal which thought you almost fluffed that as well the, the, yeah. the header uh, but you know look is that the goal that saved Silver's career I wonder because at, at half time I was I was as despondent I think as I've been well since we've been back in the Premier League I think it's just the wheels they haven't just come off they're, they're off and they're rolling down to the next junction of the motorway it's I was, I was thinking at, at the half time where do we find five wins or you know, four and a half wins to, to keep us in the division. Where are they coming from? We've lost to, to Palace, we've lost to Huddersfield, we've lost to you're right, Burnley, Swansea. we've lost to Swansea, we've lost to Brighton. They haven't been close games either. We've been beaten by all the teams that you'd expect or hope to at least get something from. I really don't know where we're at and and you've got a question, you've got it you know, there's the article in the paper this morning and in the Times that was it's pretty damning, really, wasn't yeah. it? It was a, pr- a pretty sort of fulsome sort of description of how things apparently have played out at Watford. And for those of you that haven't read it, it basically said Marco Silva wanted to leave for the, for Everton. I think that's we all accept that. And what he said, what the article said, was that players said they wanted to go with him. They were disillusioned that he wanted to go and they wanted to follow him, which I could kind of understand. And that the basic premise is that it's all fallen apart since then. The, uh, the players have taken their eye off the ball because they know the coach is committed. The coach is taking his eye off the ball because he wants to be elsewhere. It feels like a real mess to me. Yeah, it's a, dis- it's a disappointment that we find ourselves in this situation. And now the, I think the article said that they're meant to have had a, a bit of a showdown during the week to try and sort all this out. Obviously, the first half performance didn't look like it. And then you, you, you hear the... Uh, comments we're probably going to talk about later from Giraldi saying one thing and then Silva saying another and the and the press conferences don't actually suggest that anything's been sorted out and they're still sort of infighting and sort of backstabbing and it just really leaves a really nasty taste as a Watford fan when we're out there today as fans you, you, you're sitting there you you see the the GT video on the big screen you see the, the We Are Watford video on the big screen before the game. Zed Cuz comes on. We've all got our scarves up. It's a brilliant sort of 
it makes you feel proud to be Watford and and then you get that on the pitch and you and reading these stories it's, it's frustrating and annoying well at half time I was making a few notes to think about what we we're going to talk about today and I had should we just cut our losses and sack silver I mean, because you know the the article in the papers, people will sometimes you know criticise journalists and the papers are making stuff up. But I happen to know the journalist in question, Matt Hughes, and you know they they wouldn't print that much stuff if, they, if it wasn't well sourced. You know, there'll be someone in the club, people who've spoken to a to a player or a member of staff or someone that that has an insight into what's going on. So there there are clearly problems. We've seen there are problems on the pitch. You can tell by some of the comments the manager has made, and you know it's, it doesn't take a genius to work out that there are problems. But where do we go from here? We're kind of positive at the end of that game because we've got a two-all draw. But like you say, we we need wins. We're not out of the woods yet. There are a lot of play, there are a lot of teams who are doing badly in the first half of the season who are who are on the way up. And we're on the way down, and we've got a manager that apparently doesn't want to be here. We've got a board that doesn't want to sign the players that he wants to sign. So we are in trouble still. Yeah, I mean, I think any argument that article was based on anything other than than solid facts. I think Jace mentioned the the Giraldi interview. That was the timing of that, the content of that. It was out the day before uh, Silver's press conference, presumably because they knew exactly what he was going to say. It was a very stark and obvious message from Filippo Giraldi. And then the next day you've got Marco Silva saying, well, he didn't, didn't know about Holobas being re-signed and complaining about the lack of players. Literal polar opposites. One, are completely happy with the, with the squad. It's going to be very difficult to bring players in. The other, not happy with the squad. Things are happening that I'm not sure about and we do need players in. So, look, there's absolutely, in my mind, there's no doubt that, that there is a big fracture there. There is a big fissure between the, the top brass and the head coach. Um, now, what do we do about it? Well, I was really grumpy this morning after, after reading the article. I was like, it kind of bears out everything that we think has happened. It's all our worst nightmares come, come to fruition. And as you say, they're not going to write that sort of stuff. There might be a little bit of journalistic licence in there somewhere to, to give it a bit of pop. But the, the basic thing, the basic premise is going to be correct and I took to Twitter just to voice my concerns and I thought to cut a long story short I think that um, I think Marco Silva's done us no favours at all and I think he may well have done his career no favours at all as it turns out but the, your question is a good one and Adam Drury who's, who's often um, if you're on, on Watford Twitter you'll see him pop up pop up now and again and he's he's great he's always a voice of voice of reason and he said well look there are all these things happening it's undeniable but ultimately what it boils down to is a 90 minute game of football and he sort of expressed the opinion I wonder how much all these all these theories and all this off the field stuff and all these machinations going on here there and everywhere how much does that actually have to impact the game of football and if you think about that the answer is technically not a lot so what do we need to do we need to get players back in into the, into the fold we need to get players back fit quickly because as we said earlier I don't think we've got a, a team out there that's talented enough to to get the results that we need we need to as the article said the idea behind this this conversation this clear the air talks was to refocus and recommit well that for me sums it up absolutely perfectly if Watford Football Club want to stay in the Premier League and that's what it is now this is a relegation fight I don't care what anybody says we are on the countdown to 40 points nothing more nothing less we found ourselves in this situation we just need to get there. I don't care what anyone thinks tell us we're 10th 11th 12th until you're blue in the face we are in a relegation battle so what this lot need to do they need to recommit refocus and get on with it and start delivering to the extent of their ability they're good enough most of them to do better and their careers should hinge on what they deliver for the second half certainly Marco Silva 
I mean, what's it, he, he wanted to swan off after nine games. He's not going to go off into the sunset for another Premier League job if his CV reads two Premier League jobs, two relegations. He needs to get his finger out. He needs to do what he should have done back then, stay focused on the job at hand, and the players need to stop hiding behind that, if indeed they are, and stop using it as an excuse. They need to buckle down, get on with it, play for this football club. We've seen Graham, the tribute to Graham Taylor before the game today. He would have been absolutely furious, as I'm sure everyone in the crowd were, for that reason. I'm not, well, I can't have been the only people thinking, what would Graham Taylor think of this absolute bloody rabble? It's unacceptable. When you get onto that pitch, perform, and perform better. That's what we need to do. From the rookery end. And breathe. <laughs> Before we move on, lads, I suppose we, we should mention the nature of the equalising goal from Decore. I, I, he, had my, he had his back to me where I was sitting, so I couldn't see How it. But <laughs> Was it a handball? Did you see it? I, I, when the ball's flicked over, I'm just sort of full of anticipation. I didn't see the handball. I'm looking directly at him running in, and I, I didn't see what he got on the ball. I was just ready to... He's got to score. He's got to score. He's got to score. So it was only when uh, another friend of mine texted me after the, the game or WhatsApp us after the game and said, handball. And I thought, what, what, the goal? Is that, is that right, the goal? And he said, yeah, the goal. And I, so I'd missed it completely. What I've been saying to everyone is that it makes up for the penalty we should have had when Akako had his shirt removed well, earlier uh, in the second half. Uh, absolutely. And I think, I think there's no doubt. He's, I think he's gone to head it and it's bat as if his forward motion, the ball's hit him on the top portion of the, the arm. So I think it's pretty unquestionable that it was a handball but what is also unquestionable we do a slice of luck not perhaps not just in that game but over the last couple of well even the last sort of over the Christmas period and since that's going to be alarm's going to go off us <laughs> sorry that's my uh, Arlo uh, Michael Parkinson just uh, accidentally shoplifted from the Hornets shop walked out with a uh, brand new goalkeeper shirt um, but yeah I think we were due a bit of luck we were due a bit of luck and I do think that second half performance warranted it with David we, perhaps I was a bit a bit harsh earlier when you said that we, we were a changed team in the second half we were and Southampton were obviously there for the taking all the cracks appeared in their fragile confidence and I think it was a handball but we'll take it all day long what this absolutely needs to be we need to build on it we need to take that little bit of luck accept it for what it is we've had the FA Cup win we've got out of jail today with a point we've showed a bit of spirit and guts it's still like we said you know this is far this is probably the least positive podcast that we've done for a, for a long long time despite being unbeaten in two games um, because there's absolutely no longer any any room for manoeuvre I don't think there's anywhere anywhere to hide now for this for this squad they have to put up and they've got a battle on their hands we've got a tough run of games coming up I don't think any Watford supporters will be any doubt as to the, the challenge that faces us for the rest of the season. What I would say is, and I think today was a, is, a, is a bit difficult, I thought the, the atmosphere was very, very flat for what we'd all identified as a big game. And I, I understand that. I think the focus was very much on uh, everyone's thoughts were, were elsewhere, certainly for the, for, the, for the start there. It was you know, a lot of people looking pretty emotional there for, for, for five minutes or so. Vicarage Road looked magnificent there. Well, let's we... talk about that quickly, shall we? As we stand and recording this outside the Hornet shop, a giant poster of the great man Graham Taylor is behind us with his autobiography very good autobiography in his own words that Lionel Burney wrote with him uh, that I read over Christmas and uh, today of course was the one year anniversary yesterday of, of Graham's passing and we all brought our, our scarves and it was emo there were emotional scenes when we came out there weren't they? Absolutely, it really was. I mean, I was in the in the Sir Elton John um, stand today on the on the halfway line. I had a beautiful view of uh, of all around the ground, and it it did look magnificent. And I think it was a, a fitting tribute to um, to the great man. And I, I think over the last couple of days, it's been giving it quite a lot of thought. And 
I've seen a couple of people on on Twitter sort of recounting how they felt when it happened, and I think a lot of it hit a lot of people harder than they particularly to, than they thought it might have done. For, you know, he's a it's on the periphery of a lot of people's eyes, but I think people realised how just how important he is to not just you as in you know, and we the royal we and football what for football supporters he just had an impact on so many people's lives and i had a wonderful moment with arlo the other evening when we were talking about today's scarf demonstration and and arlo was, was just explaining what he had to do and making sure that he had his scarf ready and he said oh my dad why is graham taylor so good he knew who he was but he didn't quite know why what all the fuss was about and I've, it struck me that i hadn't really told him i hadn't explained in depth what what he did and I spent, you know, five, ten minutes listing what happened under him and just talking, telling it, recounting it from start to finish to fresh ears. He was grinning from ear to ear and his eyes lit up. It was like, it was like I was telling him a story, a fairy story, but a true one. And just the fact that I was able to pass that on and to see him engage with it, understand the importance of it. Because he understands what second in the league means. He understands what an FA Cup final is. And he understands how big that is for Watford. That was truly, truly magical for me. I don't want to over, overplay it, but it was, it was quite an emotional moment. And one of my favourite moments as a, as a parent. And I think the fact that Graham Taylor delivered that for us to pass on to, to our kids, our other family members, friends, is wonderful. And I think it was a fitting tribute today. I thought it was absolutely, absolutely fabulous. Vicarage Road looked, looked an absolute picture. And, uh, yeah, it's perfect. What I liked as well, I think the Southampton fans joined in as well. For fans outside of Watford, Aston Villa, Wolves, etc., um, Lincoln City, they best remember him as England manager when it didn't go quite so well for him and he got a lot of bad press and a lot of ridicule. So it's nice to see other fans acknowledging that they understand what it means when we've got someone, a football man, close to our heart. They'll have football men close to their hearts as well so they know what we'd have felt when when he passed away so nice to see them joining the tribute as well we're the Orns you're the Orns come on you Orns before we get out of here and go and warm my freezing cold hands I never bring gloves for these things do I I've got to learn let's have a quick chat about the transfer window there's about half the half the month left before the deadline day, before the window slams shut, yes. as, as it always does. The club put out a 10-minute interview with, um, what's his official title? I don't know, really. Is it technical director, head, head of recruitment? Filippo uh, Giraldi, the man who controls all the transfers, basically. As you alluded to earlier, Mike, it did seem like they were kind of getting a, getting their version of events out there before Silver maybe has a chance to criticise them maybe for not bringing in the players that he wants. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was very much a scene setter. It was, I think they're looking to establish where they're at and I think they're trying to manage supporters' expectations. And yeah, there's there's a bit of politicking going on as well, I think, to get out ahead of ahead of Marco Silva's press conference because they obviously knew knew what was coming. I mean, in terms of, I was talking to some, some friends at half-time and we were saying, well, I don't think they are going to be too active in the transfer window. I think that much is, is obvious. However... At 2-0 down at home to Southampton, staring down the barrel of another appalling home performance, another another L in the in the column. All that nonsense kind of goes out the window and you think they've got to act because, yes, they might be having issues with, with Marco Silva. Yes, they might be concerned about the future. But one thing, the one thing they really will be concerned about is dropping out of the Premier League because if this football club falls out of the Premier League, we're not going to find it difficult to come back, I think. They won't want to get relegated and they will have seen out on the pitch today and... You know, I don't like pointing fingers, but I think we're struggling for quality. I don't think Chalabar's coming back anytime soon. I don't think Firmino's coming back anytime soon. Um, 
there's going to be a lot of pressure on Will Hughes if he's if he's close to fitness. So I think we're a long way off what we where we need to be in terms of quality. So I think today might have played into Marco's hands a little bit, uh, in as much as they will I think now realise they they need to act. What we can achieve in a in in the January transfer window when perhaps they've set their stall out for a different a different month and now there's only X amount of days left to, to go we shall see but I would be very surprised if they didn't feel they they had to act and I do mean had to act well Filippo said that the club are happy with the squad they're happy with the balance in the squad and, they, and they're, they're putting a lot of faith in those injured players to come back in and plug the gaps um, which I'm not sure I agree with Jace but what, what do you feel about that no well I, yeah and he, he talked about the injuries isn't it? and if we do need to cover somewhere where we've got injury problems I think We've talked, we've talked on the podcast before about maybe we need centre-backs, maybe we need strikers, but now I'm starting to worry about the, the, the right-back slot. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I obviously mentioned Yamat already today, and it sounds like Firmini is not, like you say, not coming back anytime soon. We need, we need something there because we are struggling there. We need a, a first-team starting right-back, I think, if we're not going to see Firmini back. Um, and, and the other players coming back, I, I've said it before, I think we missed Kabul. He might be back sooner rather than later, the rumours are, but we know he's equally as likely to pick up another injury at some point during the season. So again, have we got sufficient cover there? Do we need another starting centre-back, someone who's going to be more reliable in terms of fitness? Um, Because whilst Wage and Cabaselli are are putting up a decent fist of being first-choice centre-backs, they keep getting found out. There are reasons why we're conceding goals, and we saw it again with Wagay today getting beat for pace. So, <sighs> tactically, perhaps we can do things different up front if we if we aren't going to sign anyone attacking wise. Defensively, that is where I think we need to concentrate because there's no tactics that's going to stop us conceding goals. I think at the moment the way we, we're playing. But Troy Deeney mentioned in his uh, program notes today, commenting on the fact that there's again more speculation about him leaving West Brom and the club linked with him most um, but I mean that display today showed that why he's still so important to us if he can stay on the pitch and have an impact like that yeah I think we, we said we said as much after the Bristol City game I think getting rid of him would be be a massive gamble I don't think that he would actively push for a move I don't I believe him that he's, he's settled I could understand why West Brom bizarrely might seem attractive because he'd be pitched into a full-on relegation battle. I think the supporters there would take to him very, very quickly. I think he's likely to score some goals because that's just what he does. And he'd get a new contract, quite frankly, and from a professional point of view, he'd get a new contract and it might be his last opportunity to get one at that level. But I think it'd be a huge gamble from, you know, you've, you've talked about the, the fractures, obviously, in, in, in behind the scenes. And I think you're in danger of of Watford fans falling out of love pretty quickly with, with this squad you lose Troy and I know a lot of people have had enough of him and a lot of people don't don't necessarily appreciate his uh, the way he is but I think he what, whichever way you slice it he is a link between the supporters and the and the, and the on-field and the, and the team so I think we have to be careful I mean and obviously he's not going to go without a replacement and the only the only person really that's been been mentioned is Slomani from from Leicester and I know they've brought in a, a striker this this weekend so it's a big gamble you're looking at what 15 20 million on Slimani who hasn't hasn't pulled up many trees at, at Leicester perhaps haven't been given the chances that, that he would have liked you're getting rid of club captain we know what you're going to get from him you can you can plan with him you can know what you can use him for tactically you know 
his strengths and weaknesses, and then you've got Slimani who, to, who might come in. Very, very speculative. But that's the only that's the only movement you can see. I personally would would like to see us hold on to Troy to the end of the season, mainly because of of, of what I said. And I think we're, we're just in a scrap now. We need to hunker down, and we need to make the most of what we've most of what we've got. It's notoriously difficult to find find decent players in the January transfer window, especially when we haven't set our stall out to do it. We can't we can't change midstream. I do think they need bodies in to freshen things up. I absolutely do, and I think they have to try and get something defensively because it's. It, it, it's playground stuff at times out there. Sometimes uh, I, th- I think we're going, we're regressing defensively. We're getting, we're getting torn apart by teams who who haven't scored away this millennium, and uh, it, it, it's just it's just tiresome. So I think they just need to get some defensive cover bodies in there. I agree that if we can get those the the, the unfit players back, they will have a big 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 influence. But they're not coming back anytime soon. Uh, we need to get used to that, and they need to act accordingly. It's going to be fascinating as ever because uh, it's some stuff out there in the open which seems to be pretty irrefutable. Um, and now it's how we want some professionality from Marco Silva, some professionality from the players, and, and hopefully the board are going to act in the best interest of of Watford Football Club and and get a team out there where we can get behind the supporters. We need to get behind them now. We're in a battle. It was a quiet atmosphere. That I was I was taken by the by the, the noise when the first goal went in. It was a it was a bit it was a guttural sort of roar of right, we're back in it, let's go, let's go. Uh, but up until then Vicarage Road had been silent and as I said earlier I think there's a there's a reason for that is people's minds were elsewhere. I I understand it mid I count myself among them. But now we've got the the cup away at Southampton. There's going to be a big following there. That'll be a good fun day out. We need to find our voices. We need to we need to back them. I've been critical on the podcast and and, and I feel justly um, but I will support this team forevermore and I think we need to put those sort of actions into words we need to get behind them and see if we can't turn it around and stay in the division quite <laughs> frankly well on that note lads yeah, let's, go, let's go and get out of the cold Jace thanks very much thank you Arlo thank you what? <laughs> <laughs> cheers everyone just look come on we can do this we got this uh, we know what our role is as supporters so get behind the golden boys come on you horns come on you horns